welcome to the Portrait Personas podcast, episode 14. Emily, how's it going? Going great. Can't believe we're already at episode 14. 14. How exciting. We are as excited as the person in this picture looks unexcited. Yes, it's opposite day. <laughs> so yeah, let's just jump right into it. Who are we talking about today? Today, we are discussing Portrait of a Young Woman in White, made by the circle of Jacques-Louis David, which I'll explain what it means when things are attributed to the circle, in circa 1798, and it is currently in the collection of the National Gallery of Art in Washington. We're doing a portrait. We're doing a couple of different things, but we, we got to discuss the build first, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a big swing and guess that the wig was the most complicated part of this. It was. So in the original, we see her hair is, you could say, pulled off her face, but there's some wispy pieces up front. There's a braid across the crown and then these weird like spiky pieces along the back of her head. So what I did was this was the black wig's turn. And this black wig I have is probably a little too dark to match her hair in the portrait, but then the brown wig would be too light. Now I actually probably have a brown wig that would be closer, but at the time I was still using my small little family of wigs. So the black would just have to be close enough. So what I did was just put a braid along the front and decided to just forgo these wispy pieces, which would have probably required me to actually cut the wig. So I didn't want to do that. And then I made kind of a bun along the crown and just kind of puffed it up and did some weird wispy pieces. And I think it, it worked pretty well. I'm not really sure what kind of hair she had that allowed for wispy pieces like that. It reminds me of the 90s hairstyle where you would put your hair up in a butterfly clip and then the pieces would just kind of be like that. And if you live through the 90s, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I just went for kind of a, a loose bun at the back of that. As for her outfit, and you'll notice in the full-length version, her dress is very actually quite revealing and see-through so I'm not going to do any X-rated portrait persona recreations, but I did have a white shirt that has kind of that sheer quality similar to what we're seeing on the sleeves of her dress. So I just used a shirt I already had. I did the wig styling. So I used black mascara on my eyebrows to make them darker. So the makeup was very simple. And the challenge, I guess, apart from that, was figuring out where to look. And that is why in the post, I posted two of them because neither of them were quite <laughs> correct. It's really hard when it's portrait or photograph is not making eye contact with the viewer to figure out where to look. And in this case, especially when it's like looking to the side is one thing, but then when it's like looking at the side, but slightly up, and then you have to figure out a way so that, you know, the whites of your eyes aren't showing too much. You can't look too high up. And so that took several tries to figure out where my eyes should be looking. And then after that, she has this kind of like bored expression. And in my first tries, and which I posted in the B-roll, I just looked annoyed because there's something about like having your eyes looking up almost looks like you're rolling your eyes. So it took a while to find the right eye position and the right facial expression that did not look too annoyed because while I would say she looks bored, she doesn't necessarily look annoyed. So that took several tries to get the expression and eyes correct. Is this just a picture that you've seen before? Like what made it jump the line for black wig? 
This is, you know, I like to try and stay local whenever possible. And this one is always on view at the National Gallery. In the West Building, there is reopen again. So if you're in a museuming mood, I recommend you check out some of our museums as they open up again. And this one's always on view. So I've seen it many, many times. I always felt like she was, as they say, a mood. Well, I'm very curious because you said a lot of crazy stuff at the start, the circle of... <laughs> There's a lot of ofs in this that I think need some explanation. What's the what's the history of this project? You will often see circle of in paintings where the attribution is not fully clear. Maybe the provenance or a signature is missing. That just means the style is distinct enough to look like the artist, but might not have actually been made by the artist. These would be artists who are very well known, would have trained or taught many different people in their career as an artist. So we have, you might see Circle of Raphael, Circle of David. In this case, that just means it might've been made by Jacques-Louis David, might not, but it would have been made definitely by someone who worked in his studio, either as an apprentice or assistant. Since we don't know exactly who made this, I'll just give a little history on David himself, who was a very interesting and important figure in the history of art. So Jacques-Louis David was born in Paris, 1748, died in Brussels, Belgium in 1825. He was highly educated early on, started studying painting whenever he could. He went to Rome to study for a few years and that was really influential on his art style. So at the time, this would have been like the late, like late 1770s, 1780s. This time in France, the prevailing style of art at the time was what is called Rococo, which is very ornamental. And this goes to like furniture as well as painting. It's just Rococo was a style that was like broadly termed for many different types of art and design. You would see lots of curves and scrolls, gilding, vivid pastels, very over the top, lots of what we call trompe l'oeil, which are like tricks of the eye. So it's just like very over the top, very pretty art. So the movement or style of art that kind of went against Rococo is called neoclassical. And that also is something that goes beyond painting that goes to like architecture, interior design, etc. So David is one of the most well-known figures of the neoclassical era, especially in France. Neoclassical would be against Rococo, so it favored harmony, clarity, just restrained idealism, sometimes very sparse, clean lines. After he got back from Rome, he became a pretty well-known influential person in the art scene in France. Now this was a very wild time in French history, the late 18th century. And he was contrary, shall we say. So he was one of the people who was very into the revolution. He voted for the beheading of the king and queen, spearheaded abolishing the French art academy. So he was like really against institutions at the time. And he was very much anti-establishment, in addition to being an influential person in the history of art. So when Robespierre fell in 1794, David was denounced as a tyrant of the arts. And when that happened, 
he was like, you're right. Uh, Robespierre is not my bro. He did not want to die or be beheaded. So he changed his tune and he went to prison for several months in 1794 and 95, but then he eventually gained amnesty. So that was his revolution experience. So during these final years of the 1700s before Bonaparte, he was able to focus on just his artistic style, just painting, figuring out who he was in the art world. And the academy was reestablished under a new name. And even though he was instrumental in abolishing it, he immediately rejoined as a member, but he used his studio as a place of education. And he had, it's believed, more than 400 students pass through it. So when we say the circle of David, he had a very large circle. These include students, protégés, assistants. His influence spread far and wide in European art for decades. So it was a very productive time at the end of the 1700s for him when this work of art was made. And then we'll come back to that, but just to finish up his story, because there's only a couple more decades left of his life story. So he did, as we remember, like to be contrary and a rebel. He was buddies with Napoleon Bonaparte and Napoleon made himself emperor in France in 1804. And with that, he appointed David the first painter. You know, there's all sorts of history there with Napoleon being exiled, coming back, but on the official reinstatement of Louis the 18th after Waterloo, David was banished from France for good. He said that's why he died in Belgium. He settled in Brussels in 1816 and spent the last nine years of his life just cared for by pupils and friends. So despite him being on the wrong side of things, you know, the wrong side always depends on who's in power, I guess. But despite that happening twice, he still survived both experiences and just spent his days painting. So this portrait, we don't know who she is. We have no idea. Made by him, made by a protege, made by one of those 400 students that passed through. Not sure, but it definitely is in line with his other work. Crisp detail, clean lines, very realistic. It's just, there's not a lot going on. She's just got a gray background, which was perfect for me with my apartment wall color. She's just sitting on a chair with some kind of table, I suppose, next to her in this red cloth in the non-cropped version. So there's nothing going on. It's very clean and sparse, very neoclassical. Although some of his more formal portraits, like the ones of Napoleon, they go a little outside of neoclassical, a lot of trinkets, like the National Gallery, if you're interested in more of David's work, has a very famous painting that was commissioned called Napoleon and his study. And so there are all sorts of symbolism with like the trinkets and furniture in the office, but this is more reminiscent of neoclassical style. If there's a portrait of just be someone sitting in some kind of chair or chaise, the sparse background. So this is epitome of neoclassical. Portraiture wasn't just something anyone could have done. So I'm, I'm thinking she would have been someone from the, likely someone from the upper echelons of society, although her revealing gown also kind of blurs the who <laughs> might she have been line. But it's, I mean, fashion then was also interesting. 
this dress she's wearing is an empire waist. And if anyone's heard that term, which still persists today, this is when that originated during the Napoleonic empire. That's why it's empire waist. So this was when the empire waist came into fashion because of neoclassicism, which was inspired by ancient Greece and Rome. And if you've seen any ancient sculptures of women or goddesses or nymphs, they're tunics or togas, they're always cinched high up on the waist. So that came and translated into these dresses that were gathered right there under the bust line. So this is the origin of the empire waist. So her empire waist gown, typical of the time, very popular, especially made popular by Napoleon's wife, Josephine Bonaparte. There's really not too much to say about this. There's no symbolism, really. There's just a chair, a piece of fabric and a blank background. And, you know, she's not really, her pose is not very formal. So it probably wouldn't have been like a wedding portrait or something. The chair, it's like a straight back chair. So it's, it's interesting to me because to have your portrait painted meant that you would have been someone, but it's not a fancy portrait either. And it's not a, David also did a lot of history painting, like scenes of famous moments from the ancient world, like Socrates or the oath of the Hirashi. I, I can never, okay, I've heard, I've had so many art history professors say this so many different ways, H-O-R-A-T-I-I. I've heard Horati, Horatii, but that's one of his more famous paintings. I don't know. She just looks like someone who might've been important having a leisurely moment. Well, that's very interesting. Are there other pictures of his that people can find or other, as you know, there's the Napoleon start. Are there other contemporaries of uh, David or are there more people in his circle people should check out? David has tons of work to check out. And if you want to try a contemporary, but slightly different, check out Canova, really beautiful sculptures. The National Gallery also has a Canova work typically on view, but that's that was in the before times. If you're interested in the 18th century in France with all that was going on, he was documenting it left and right with his very active political life. That's too fun. Well, now that we've done the circle, are you ready for the stump? I am. Alrighty, so I've tried to keep the logic uh, very simple on this one. So, Portrait of a Young Woman in White is part of the Chester Dale Collection. Chester Dale, an American banker. Emily, what year was he born? Oh, man, I should know this. <laughs> he's, he's like... Okay. Um, I'm going to guess 1881. 1883. Whoa, I was super close. I, I'll say most of those syllables, I was uh, terrified that you'd get again. <laughs> I was, I was guessing, I was guessing because the National Gallery was formed in 1941 by Andrew Mellon, who he would have been a contemporary of Chesterdale. So I tried to like backtrack from there because I think he would have been, you know, in his 50s or 60s at the, the time of founding the National Gallery. So that's where my guess came from. I'm just proud I was close. That was a very good, very good guess. Very, very close. Alrighty, so let's uh, get our teaser. What are we looking at next week? Next week, the red wig is back. And next week was an experiment where I actually have not done this again since then. 
where I tried to recreate an abstract portrait, which was very challenging. Um, so trying to figure out the face of an abstract lady in painting. Well, that sounds like a ton of fun. Uh, thank you so much, Emily. Thank you. Thank you.